Mark 8, 34. And he, Jesus, summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark it and mark it well. One moment after many people die, they will wish they had paid more attention to their soul. What shall a man be profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Contrast that sense of seriousness and loss and tragedy with I'm on my way to that fair land where the soul of man never dies where there will be no parting hand, where the soul of man never dies. No sad farewells, no tear-dimmed eyes, where the soul of man never dies. A young fellow was in love. He found the love of his life. He went out and spent money he didn't have to get that girl the nicest diamond ring that he could as a token of his love so that they could be engaged to be married. Thousands of dollars, easily, this ring. And of course, many jewelers, when you buy such an, an expensive ring, put it in a pretty box. And the young lady, upon getting the ring from him, extolled the virtues of the box and how pretty it was. And the young man said, did you look what was inside it? And she said, yes, there was a rock with some wire attached to it, and I just threw that away. How ridiculous. And yet you get the point. Sometimes we so emphasize our body and its desires that we wholly neglect our souls. Now look at Matthew 16, 26 with me. What I'd like to do this morning is look at three truths concerning the soul. First of all, its value. Secondly, it's loss. What 
might people lose their soul for? But third, I'd like for us as a congregation to consider a strategy concerning the care of the soul. An outreach. So first of all, the soul, its value. The soul, its value. When we consider the soul, the soul is infinitely valuable, first of all, because of its creator. God gave us our soul. I've never seen mine. Have you seen yours? The only way I know that I have a soul is because Scripture reveals it, because Jesus talks to us about it. But when God creates something, He always does so with a great purpose in mind. You know, when we buy things, who made it matters. When we buy things, who made it matters. Some people buy things made in the USA. And it's sort of a matter of principle. I can understand that. Who made it matters when we purchase objects of value. The fact that God made your soul and mine makes it an object of tremendous value. Secondly, the soul has tremendous potential. That gives it its value. It has tremendous potential. Think about the soul this way. The soul is not simply about who we are, but who we can become. Not just who we are, but who we can become. That makes the soul infinitely precious. It makes the soul really valuable because of its potential. Here's what I mean quite simply. Your soul makes the best version of you possible in Jesus. That you will be somewhere forever and that the best possible version of you possible is with Jesus forever. The potential there is enormous. So different from one moment after you die understanding that you wished you'd paid more attention to your soul. Third, think about the value of a soul because of its durability. Souls last. There is something about us that is incredibly durable. Our soul. And it's right to say every person who has ever lived will be eternally in one of two places. In the presence of God forever or outside the presence of God forever and eternity. 
Think about this with me. The soul is valuable because of its rarity. In the years that I've lived, I've noticed no two people are exactly alike. I believe that the soul reflects the remarkable creativity, uh, creativity of God, the creative power of God. Just like snowflakes, no two souls are exactly alike. We are a unique combination of things, each and every one of us, but one of the things that we all have in common is that we have a soul. And there's something valuable and precious about each and every one. You know, in Luke 15, a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. He leaves the 99 and he goes in search of the one, the value of one. A woman has ten coins and she loses one. And she looks and looks for the one until she finds it. And then there's that sense of joy and relief of having found it. I was in a meeting, a gospel meeting in Abilene last week, and the preacher's wife came up to me, and she's in her 70s, and she said, Mike, I've lost my car keys, so I don't know if we're going to be able to meet you for lunch. And her husband said, well, we have two. And she said, I lost those two. <laughs> when she found her car keys, they sent me a text that there was great joy in the house for what was lost was found. But we all can relate to that. We understand the value of one, and in that case, the value of two. And being able to find each of them. But there's something I want you to think about concerning the value of the soul. The value of the soul is priceless. Priceless. All of the things we've been talking about make our souls a precious commodity. Now let's adjust in our thinking to the second consideration. We've looked at the soul, its value. Let's consider the soul, its loss. In the passage read by David earlier from Mark chapter 8, what will a man give in exchange for a soul, even if he should gain the whole world. Think of all the people that have tried to gain the world at the cost of their soul. It's not turned out very well for them. Alexander the Great, Hitler, Genghis Khan, so many others whose objective may have been to gain the world. But you know what? Even if we could gain the whole world, it's not worth the precious value of our soul. That's what Jesus said. 
That's what he said. Imagine people that are really into money and stuff. Think of the rich man God called a fool. Luke 12, 13 through 21. He was already rich. He had a bumper crop. He had a great crop. Was even richer. And his first thinking is this. I'm going to build a bigger barn and put all of my goods in this. And I'll be set for life. Well, it sounds to me like he was already pretty set for life. Don't you think? This man was not rich toward God. A man's life consists not in the abundance of things he possesses. Luke 12, 15. A man's life consists in the care that he gives to his soul and to God who made that soul. Even if you could gain the world, you couldn't keep it. I always smile when I read of the temptation of Jesus and Satan says to him, if you'll just bow down to me for a moment, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Even if the devil did that for a moment, Jesus would not be allowed to keep it. By God or by the devil. Think about that. He always promises more than he delivers, doesn't he? Third, and think about this, even if you got the world, it would not satisfy you. We think that it might sometimes. Everything that there is in the world, all that the world has to offer, would that satisfy you? The Bible says in Acts 17, 26 through 28, that it's in the Lord we live and move and have our very being. I've got to think that even if it were possible for us to get the whole world, it wouldn't satisfy us. Because there's something in all of us, a hole within that can be filled only by God. Now, that brings me to the third consideration. Having looked at the value of a soul, having looked at the loss of one's soul, let's talk about a strategy for the care of the soul. And I hope that you'll get this down and that you'll think about it. Maybe write it down or keep it in your mind and heart. The church needs to measure spiritual success one soul at a time. We need to measure spiritual success one soul at a time. Now, I know that Jesus preached before multitudes, and we hear about Peter preaching and 3,000 were converted in Acts chapter 2. We read about those progress reports where there were 5,000 men and then the number of disciples were multiplying in the book of Acts. And sometimes we get lost in big. And our country, and Texas in particular, loves big, don't we? But we need to learn to measure spiritual success one soul at a time. Let me show you what I mean. 
In John chapter 3, Jesus, who did preach before the masses, stressed one soul, Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a religious insider. And he comes to Jesus by night and nothing is said in the text to condemn him for doing that. It's simply mentioned. And Jesus takes time out of his life for one soul. We need to measure spiritual success one soul at a time because it's in keeping with what the master did. Go over one chapter to John chapter 4. You will see the Samaritan woman and Jesus. Jesus goes out of his way to encounter this woman. I must needs pass through Samaria. Here is a woman that could not be more different than this Jewish religious leader, Nicodemus. He was an insider. She is a Samaritan. She is a woman. She is an outsider. She has a past. She's had five husbands. They could not be more different, but the same Lord and Savior took time for one. He didn't simply think that Nicodemus was good soil and the Samaritan woman wasn't. There's a lot to think about and meditate upon here. But in both cases, the Lord is teaching us the power of one, one soul. Now, what did the Samaritan woman do toward the end of her conversation with Jesus? She went back where? She went back to her village, didn't she? And when we look at verses 29 and following of John 4, she talks about this man who told me all about myself. Can this be the Christ? And the whole town, the whole village turns out to meet Jesus. And you keep reading through John chapter 4, and many believe not simply because of the word of the Samaritan woman, but they got to hear Jesus and see Jesus. One woman brought one village to Jesus. The power of one. We need to think about Andrew who brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. John 1, 40 and following. We talk about Peter and him gaining the masses preaching before thousands, but one person brought one person to Jesus. We look at the book of Acts, ladies and gentlemen, and it is a book of conversion, how people come to Jesus. And yes, while sometimes we have entire houses coming to Jesus, sometimes thousands of people coming to Jesus at once, like in Acts 2, but there are a number of occasions when one person's coming to Jesus, the conversion of one person is what is stressed. What is stressed. For example, let me give you two. 
Example number one, the, the conversion of the Ethiopian nobleman, Acts 8. One, we measure spiritual success one soul at a time. We ought to as the people of God. Earlier in that chapter, Philip had preached to Samaritans. But it was in the providence of God that Philip would encounter the nobleman. So the same God who brings masses brings the individual. And Philip is able to bring the nobleman to Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 9. Spiritual excellence is seen one soul at a time. We measure spiritual excellence one soul at a time. Acts 9 is the conversion of whom? Of Saul. Of Paul. I wonder how many people he helped bring to Christ. I wonder how many people uh, he, he, he brought to Jesus and how many congregations he started. Here is a man that's known as the apostle to the Gentiles, Acts 9, 15, and 16. We measure spiritual success one soul at a time. How do I do what you're talking about, Mike? Think this way. Each one reach one. Each one reach one. If every person here at Westside bought in fully to the value of a soul and to the tragedy of a soul being lost, whatever reason the world may offer it, and we understood that we are to measure spiritual success one soul at a time, each one reach one. family member, a friend. Notice throughout, it's not scripture, it's often not cold turkey, someone they had no knowledge of before. It's family members. Think Andrew and Peter, for example. Think classmates, co-workers people in the neighborhood begin with those nearby. Each one reach one. Shortly after the Civil War, a man was preaching in a revival and he preached his heart out in that gospel meeting, that revival, all week. And no one came forward until the last night. And a young lady did who was about 13, possibly 14. And she repented of her sins and put on Jesus Christ at the end of that service. The preacher was somewhat disappointed 
I preached my heart out and just one young lady comes to Jesus. That young lady eventually married a man by the name of J.H. Halbrook. And she helped teach her husband about Jesus and he too became a Christian. He taught a man who would become a Christian whose last name was Wheeler. Wheeler would go on to preach the gospel as Brother Halbrook, this young lady initially anyway, her husband had done. Wheeler would establish congregations and baptize hundreds, probably thousands in the state of Alabama. And one of the men that he baptized name was Gus Nichols. Some of you may have heard that name. And others will recall that in this area many years ago, the son of Gus Nichols, Hardeman Nichols, preached. Here's what I'm getting across, Brian. Brother Nichols baptized over 12,000 people during a 60-plus year ministry. Six of his sons, I believe, became preachers, and thousands more were baptized. And it all began shortly after the Civil War when a 13 or 14-year-old young lady came to Jesus. The power of one. We never know how mightily God might use one soul. Each one, reach one. The one you reach may be someone that God mightily uses to bless the cause. And even if he doesn't, in some great way like the story of Brother Nichols and his family that I just shared with you, the value of one soul. It's a mentality, it's an approach we have often preached and taught and rightly if we were the only person who had ever lived and we sinned, Jesus would have come and died for us. If that is true, we need to measure spiritual success one soul at a time. I'm going to tell you what. So many churches, including not a few churches of Christ, they emphasize growth on the basis of the size of a facility or the numbers or the number of programs when we need to be thinking more about spiritual success and the value of one soul. One soul at a time. We've bought into a consumer culture, a materialistic society, and you know what? It may be appealing to the eyes and it may be appealing to the ears, but it will not save one's soul. 
Jesus and the gospel will. We come to Jesus through faith, repentance, and baptism. At that point, we are saved by the grace of God in Jesus. I hope and pray that Westside will be known as a church that sincerely believes in reaching one soul at a time. And God will bless those efforts. Let us stand and sing.